I went for a walk on Tuesday evening. <clears throat> I'm not a very good random walker. Um, I need a destination or I quickly grow impatient and just turn around and go home. <clears throat> so I decided to walk to the library, a uh, clean and well-lighted place where my friends congregate and stand in tidy alphabetical rows to welcome me. <laughs> so the library it is, and off I went. Well, I never made it. Uh, I got derailed on North Prince Street. There's this new little used bookstore that's um, just opening um, called Winding Way Books. It's not home exactly, but it's clean and well-lighted and cozy enough. So I wandered around and eventually bought something, more out of a desire to see a fledgling bookstore survive than, well, for any need for another book. Then I headed back toward home. For some time now, I've inhabited a, um, a rather dry, desert-like spirituality. Um, lots of empty spaces, lots of wandering aimlessly, looking for some sign of life. Something to sustain me, to quench my thirst, to feed me, or feed whatever vague hunger is consuming me. The only thing thin is the atmosphere, which often leaves me gasping for air, for any whiff of the spirit, any sense of the presence of God. It's a lonely place to be. And my guess is we've all been there at one time or another. In my head, I can look at it calmly. Times of dryness, of barrenness, they come to all of us, or we come to them. They're part of the landscape of faith, part of the journey that doesn't only take us by streams of living water and through lush green fields, but also takes us through the valley of the shadow of death. But in my heart, there's a restless feeling, an impatience, a need, perhaps, for the dry patch to come to an end. Or if that's too much to ask, then maybe just a little oasis now and then to break things up, to restore hope and to remind me, to remind us that wherever we wander, we're never alone. A table set before us in the wilderness prepared by somebody who saw us coming and wanted to offer a respite, a meal, a sign of something larger just out there beyond the next hill. Our text from Hebrews offers us a glimpse of that something larger, a glimpse of the truth behind the Jesus that we see walking the streets of Galilee, a truth that I think we can sometimes miss because of our fascination with the human Jesus of Nazareth. In what some commentators call an early Christian hymn, Jesus Christ is here revealed as God's last and best word, a word before whom the angels bow because of Christ's willingness to be made a little lower than the angels and even to suffer and die for the sake of the world that he had a hand in creating. This is the same cosmic Christ that we met in Ephesians not long ago, high and lifted up with language that stretches us and then quickly leaves us out of our depth. Jesus the Christ who sits at God's right hand, there in the beginning with God, there for all time. Like a mountain that keeps getting bigger the closer we get to it. This vision of Christ causes our heads to, to tilt back and our eyes to squint as we try to see what the author is revealing and, and discover that it shines like the sun. It's too bright to look at. And so with the angels, we bow our heads. We bow down. 
and worship. And this one, the author tells us, this Christ, high and lifted up, this Jesus is not ashamed to call us sisters and brothers. Not ashamed to call us sisters and brothers. And there it is. That table set before me in the middle of the desert, that oasis, that water that restores me and cools my overheated head, the one I'm seeking, the one who so often seems out of reach, is, is not ashamed to call us sisters and brothers. Jesus is not ashamed to call me his brother. This is such unlooked-for news. Like a mirage, it, it rises up before me and, and, and offers unexpected hope and and peace, and even joy. It's not the kind of news I'm used to hearing. We followers of Jesus are, I'm afraid, all too often ashamed, ashamed to call others sisters and brothers. We're quick to name all the reasons why we are ashamed of them, why their presence in the family would only drag us down or make us dirty or cause the little ones to to question. This is the most striking irony of all, isn't it? That we sanctified ones, sanctified, I might add, through no good thing we've done, should then define ourselves over against those whom we're too afraid or too holy or too embarrassed or too ashamed to call sisters and brothers. The names on the list of those making us ashamed, well, they change periodically, but there's always a list, always a list of those we're ashamed of and and cannot call sister and brother. And so this news from Hebrews is quite a surprise, quite unbelievable, like a mirage in the desert. I mean, how can this be? Where did this table come from? Where did this welcome come from? And how did we deserve it? Why would this one so high, so pure, so holy, so far and above even the angels, why would this Jesus not be ashamed to call us sisters and brothers? Why would Jesus suffer to sanctify us, to make us holy, to welcome us into God's embrace? Sisters and brothers of Jesus, and so children of God. Who is it who comes and sets this table before us? Who is it who comes to us in the midst of our wanderings and invites us to sit down and rest in the divine presence Who is it who comes to us so unexpectedly and names us sister and brother? Hebrews tells us that it is Jesus, the Christ, seated at the right hand of God, our own dearest brother, our only Savior and Lord. The thing is, we so often often see only our own footprints when we're wandering in the desert. We're so aware of our own needs, our our stumbling, our thirst, our hunger, our desire for home, our fear that the wilderness will never end and that we're doomed to wander forever. We can easily begin to think that maybe we created this desert, that we're responsible for its breadth and depth, for its lack of water and sustenance, that our wandering is somehow our fault, the consequence of our little faith or our lack of discipline or our foolish trust in our own maps. Maps that we know were made from whole cloth and never intended to lead us rightly. Pretend things 
the treasure maps of child pirates, good for getting us, getting the game started maybe, but, but not to guide when the sea gets rough or when the desert island turns out to be surrounded by nothing. We know these things and, and so can assume that our troubles are all of our own making, that we deserve to wander forever, that we deserve this thirst, this hunger, this empty space within and all around us. Then we stagger over the next dune to find a table waiting, a table prepared by the one who is not ashamed of us, not ashamed of our predicament, and not quick to say it's our own fault, this mess we're in, one who is instead quick to offer us food and drink and a blessing, and more than that, one who makes a way for us to be redeemed altogether, to take our wandering hearts and give them a sense of direction, of movement towards something, revealing what lies in the other end of the desert, home, heaven, whatever you want to call it, it's out there. It's out there, our brother tells us. So keep walking. But first have a drink. Have something to eat. Know yourselves to be my kin. Your dirty feet, your weary bones, your burning eyes, your calloused hands, your ragged clothing, your aimless wandering, these things do not make me ashamed of you. You're my sister. You're my brother. My dear one. Heart of my own heart. What a wonderful and unexpected thing. Not only to have our wanderings interrupted by this grace-filled oasis, but to have the whole desert itself claimed as part of the miracle that lies just on the other side of the journey. To have this dry and desert place where prayer so often seems empty and the voice of God sounds like echoes coming from our empty bellies. To have this place that I have inhabited too long with no end in sight. To have it too claimed by the one who calls me brother who calls you sister, to have all of our most desperate and difficult and barren times claimed as part of the larger mystery, the, the largest mystery of all, to have even these things, even these times, these places redeemed by the one who sits at God's right hand and yet is not ashamed of us, the one who calls us sister and brother, the one we call Savior, Friend, Lord. I'd like to say this makes it all better, that these words from Hebrews make the dry places green and the rough places smooth and the heavy going lighter. If they do, I confess I'm not always aware of that fact. And yet, and yet, I keep walking. We keep walking. It's the only faithful thing to do, really. Walking and trusting that every once in a while, along the way, we'll find a table or some other gift awaiting us, some sign that the path we travel, no matter how hard, is leading somewhere. A sign that there is something larger than life awaiting us at journey's end. That Christ is out there in front of us, waiting, but that every one now and again, every now and again, 
he comes back to surprise us with a drink, a bit of bread, a word of assurance and hope that we are already claimed as Christ's own, and that even this most difficult path leads home. Well, last Tuesday evening, I bought my book and then left the bookstore. I walked down Prince Street toward Walnut, and I crossed the street there. And I noticed the macadam. Um, it's hard, it's ugly. It's been abused by who knows how many thousands of cars and trucks and buses. It's stained and blasted and torn. Not a pleasant place to walk. It's a rough place. But even so, it's the way home. And then about three paces into the sidewalk, into the crosswalk, I noticed this tiny bit of green, a circle of green, about the size of a silver dollar, right there in the macadam, in a most inhospitable place. Something was growing. The gardeners among us, I'm sure, would identify it as some sort of weed, certainly something hardy enough to break through the macadam or perhaps something wise enough to find that one small spot in that rock-hard place in which to land and sprout and maybe to flourish. A little bit of hope in all that gray. It caught me up. It's so beautiful. And the thing is, if it had been any place else, in a garden or a yard or a field or a park, I never would have seen it at all. But there, on that bleak corner of Walnut and Prince Streets, it was a little miracle to behold, like a bit of sun coming through storm clouds. That circle of green up and took my breath away. And so it is. Maybe your circumstances are quite different from mine. Perhaps you find yourself enjoying the lush green places of the spirit where the water of life flows freely and joy comes every morning. And if that is so, thanks be to God. I am so glad for you. May this table, may this cup and this bread serve as just one more reminder to you of how generous and loving and faithful is this God we serve. May it be the icing on the cake, the star and the crown, the best thing of all and then some more. Or perhaps, like me, you find yourself walking through hard and dry places, and so maybe you come here weary and weak and, and wondering. You feel like it's been a mighty long time since drinks, a mighty long time since you last glimpsed the Holy One, a mighty long time since you heard the voice of Jesus calling your name. If that be so, thanks be to God. For this table, this cup, this bread, are offered to you by Christ himself as a respite from the journey. More wonderful still, Christ offers it as a sign that the journey has a destination, that our wanderings are not aimless, that even the desert wilderness has already been redeemed by the one seated at God's right hand. May this bread and this cup nourish you in all hope, and remind you that something larger than life awaits you on the other side.
like a small circle of green in a hard and gray street. This table bids you to look, to take notice of the presence of beauty, even in the dry places. The beauty of the presence of Christ. A beauty that does not despise us for being weary, worn, sad. A beauty that rather lifts us up in an embrace, calls us by name, and is never, never ashamed to call us sister and brother. It's a small thing. It's a small thing at first glance. Hardly enough to sustain us on the way. And yet if we look again, a thing most powerful. For behind this bread and this cup resides all the love in the universe. And that love, dear friends, is directed at us. And it bids us to stop, to rest, to eat, to be filled. And to understand ourselves for who we truly are. Redeemed children of God. Sisters and brothers of Christ are people on our way home. Amen.